everybody. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to episode 47 of the Virtual Couch. I just laughed because this is the first live uh, opening I've ever done for the Virtual Couch. I have my buddy Nate Christensen here. Nate, how are you? Good. How are you, Tony? I'm doing great, but let me... Okay, so let me try to take this again. It's actually like take four, right? Okay. It is, yes. Um, Nate, I will just welcome you to episode 47 of the Virtual Couch. I am your host, which you know because I'm sitting in front of you, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner, and creator of... The path back. It's so weird to be looking at you as I say this, right? L- look over there, Nate. Okay. Uh, created the path back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that's helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. So, Nate, uh, welcome. I, and I am so self-conscious right now. So I don't know if you noticed I was like pointing my fingers oddly when I was reading that introduction. Did you see that? I, I did. I did see that. So when I'm, when I, I typically record the intro, even if I have an interview with somebody, I will record the intro solo and then I will, you know, then I'll put that to the, the video recording. Okay. Nate and I are not on video. Um, although we are both in suits and ties, which is very <laughs> impressive. We're not. It's very early morning recording. Um, but I, I often, I'm so self-conscious about when I'm recording the intros, my hands, I do all kinds of weird things things with them. I'm pointing down, I'm pointing around. So that was even self-conscious about that. But I'm grateful that Nate is here. Um, Nate is, uh, he's a friend of mine and he is currently a grad student um, studying what you, because I mean, the titles have changed, right? Um, I mean, so I'm, I make the, you know, my intro, I'm a licensed marriage and family mm-hmm. therapist and Nate is becoming a... So an LPCC in California, it's a licensed practicing clinical counselor, okay. and we've only been around. Well, so we've been around out in other states okay. for, for quite some time, but in California, we've only been practicing for about eight years. We do very much very the similar same, right? stuff. Yeah, yeah you're going to see clients. You're going to mm-hmm. have them lay on a couch. You're going to ask them how they feel. Ask them about their parents. You're going to do all that kind of stuff, right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, good. And so Nate is a graduate student. But what I, there's a lot of cool things I like about Nate. Number one, he can make anything sound intelligent. We'll probably get to that in this in part of this interview. Um, but And Nate's here to, to – and, and this is the part where I always feel like, hey, surprise. Guess what we're talking about? But everybody who is listening right now saw on their podcast – uh, title that we're talking about decision making. So there you know. So I brought Nate in because um, Nate and I just, I don't know, I really enjoy just kind of processing things with him. Nate's a student of psychology. You enjoy people. You enjoy, I mean, that's a passion, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so Nate and I were talking the other day about, uh, I think I basically gave him the, hey, say something smart challenge. And uh, Nate brought out a gentleman named Kierkegaard. Yes. Right. And a yes. very cool quote that then kind of led me to think, man, we need to have a podcast about this because I feel like, well, give us a little sneak preview. The, the quote was, or Kierkegaard, what you were sharing with me was what? Uh, well, so it's a pretty long quote. So okay. I'll just give you the gist of it, which okay. is essentially no matter what decision you make, you will regret it. Which sounds like ominous and like uh, almost negative, but, yeah. it, but it's not, right? <clears throat> not No, it's not necessarily. I mean, it, it's very – so Kierkegaard himself was pretty – he called himself melancholy. Okay. Um, so, you know, you might say he was a pessimist. He, he probably struggled with some level of depression. Yeah. And what years are we talking here? What's the time? Uh, he was born, I think, in an eight, eight, early 1800s. Okay. So this was – the book that was written in or, – or the actual quote, I believe, was in 1840. 40s. Okay. So, but his concept was, yeah, go ahead. I cut you off. No, that's fine. Um, so essentially Kierkegaard's uh, whole theory on this was essentially no matter what you do, there's going to be regret associated with it. And you can look at that in a couple different ways. One way is to say, well, okay, Kierkegaard just happens to be projecting his own uh, anxiety on the rest of the world. And okay. not everybody feels that way, which is a possibility. The other possibility is that he's looking at it in a sense that when you make a decision, let's say you have two potential outcomes, and when you choose one outcome, you're essentially closing the door on another outcome. And yeah. so the regret will come from the fact that you would maybe never make friends that you would have made if you had made the other decision. Okay. So, you know, it really depends on how you want to look at it. He's he's considered what's called an existentialist, which is essentially the idea that uh, your own life is what you choose to make it. Okay. And As opposed to what? So, I mean, like you were telling me about this earlier. So, that, that existentialism is you are going to come up with decisions and you make them and that charts your path and course in life. Yeah. So existentialism is different. So when you look at some of the classical philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, um, their theory essentially was that um, existence and essence are tied, but 
the way that they that they would describe it is that your essence or the essence is essentially what your purpose in life is. Okay. That your essence exists before you are born. Ah. Uh. Okay, and and the existentialists and the existentialists essentially class they're classically dis- described uh, as as Kierkegaard, uh, Nietzsche, uh, John Paul Sartre. There's a few others, but those are just some of the bigger names. Um, their take is the opposite, which essentially is your existence precedes your essence. So their point is, you get to choose okay. what your purpose in life is. Okay. It's up to you. So you can sit around and wait. And it's interesting because there's kind of a religious component here. Uh-huh. And so there are people that believe they are born into life and that they have a purpose and that purpose will be revealed to them. Okay. The existentialists take the opposite approach. You are born into life and your purpose is whatever you choose to make it. Okay. So you kind of have this agency to choose. Yes. Okay. Well, because I, okay. Yeah. And we, I guess that might even be a podcast for another day because I do run into some people that, um, what is it, forward in the nation and to, to its extreme as people are saying, don't really matter what I do. I mean, everything's kind of mapped out before me. I mean, is that kind of the, the one side of the coin? That, yeah. And that's something that you would see closer to the Plato Aristotle okay. opinion. Okay. All right. So, man, I see, doesn't Nate make things sound smart, <laughs> right? So Kierkegaard and this, because I, you know, and it was funny after we had spoke, I think that later that day I was working with a client and I was, you know, I was trying to sound smart as well. So I was like, you know, this reminds me of Kierkegaard's uh, philosophy. And, but then I couldn't pull a really good um, example. So I gave one of, you know, so, you know, if you're wondering, do I have the vanilla ice cream or do I have the chocolate ice cream? And then that just has you paralyzed to the point of where now, and, the, and I'm like in the middle of it, I'm trying to really make this thing sound smart. And then I'm like, and then you have to go somewhere. And so now the decision of which ice cream to make, you don't even have that decision anymore. And the bottom line is you didn't get any ice cream. I mean, that's basically right. The, 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 the regret. So if I was going to have the vanilla ice cream, yeah, I might regret the chocolate. I'm going to regret the chocolate, not having the chocolate. Right. I mean, there's, I'm going to miss that. But if I go for the chocolate ice cream, perfectly normal to kind of have a little bit of regret about that, you know, the wonderful taste of vanilla bean on my tongue. Right. Absolutely. Okay. That was probably not what the great philosophers had in mind when they were laying out these theories. I, I don't know. He could have been an, you know, a Baskin Robbins fan. Okay. That's right. Okay. I yeah, appreciate that, Nate. All right. So, and also what I love about, so Nate's a grad student studying to become a licensed professional, no, LPCC, licensed professional clinical counselor. Yes. Which is, again, doing the same thing as I get to do as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And he's attending Northwestern University. But Nate just uh, threw up a shingle. He's um, just started practicum. Yes. Which means what practicum is. Uh, so, I am a student operating underneath a, a licensed uh, practitioner. And uh, and so I basically conduct one-on-one therapy mm-hmm. with adults at this point. Okay. Um, and, and so I'm going to put in the show notes where to find you, but where you, for those who listen locally, we are, um, we're, I'm, Nate's here in my office at Roseville, but where's your shingle? Uh, so the site that I'm at is called The Place Within Counseling Folsom. Okay. So what's the, do you know the URL at the top of your head? I think it's the place within counseling Folsom dot com. It's pretty simple. Perfect. So actually for people who uh who want to see Nate as a as a therapist, that's where you go to yes, find him, right? Correct. Which is kinda cool. Okay. And another thing, and, and some of this stuff we'll maybe bring on for another episode as well, but you've already had a couple of um careers, which I love. What what have you done up to this point? Um, so I started in construction and it was kind of a mix between construction and construction management. And I was in that for about 10 or 12 years. And then when the downturn happened, 2000, 2007, 2008, uh-huh. uh, I got pretty gnarly. So I decided to go back to school and got a business uh, administration degree with an emphasis in finance. And I decided to work down in San Francisco okay. and worked in the zoo. And okay. it was not like literally with the animals, right? Not, not with the animals. No, okay. I, I worked in insurance. Yeah. Um, and it was a very different feel from construction. Um, you know, it was very suit and tie ish. There were a lot of great things about it. It just ultimately, you know, I, I just didn't quite feel that f- fulfilled. Yeah. So, and so then that led you to kind of toward this, all right, I, I would prefer to be fulfilled. I'd f- prefer to have kind of more of a, what, a purpose or that something that you were passionate about? Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately, you know, if you take, if you take this from an existential point of view, okay. uh, oh, I yeah. just didn't feel that what I was doing was fulfilling the purpose that I see for myself. Okay. 
So I decided to uh, to take another road. Do you remember, um, I've talked before on my podcast about you know, I did 10 years in computer, the computer industry, and it was still this gradual process to try to think about, okay, do I go back to school? What do I do with it? Um, do you remember what that was like? I mean, how hard was that for you to say, okay, I'm going to go back to get my master's and I'm going to change my entire career? How hard was that? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like it, it happened very quickly. Okay. So I saw an ad online. I started kind of poking around. I saw an ad online. I actually responded to it. I looked at a few different schools. I applied to to, to Northwestern, and I d- actually didn't expect to get in. Okay. And Which is an interesting thing. So almost wanting the decision to be made for you. Well, and I mean, it, not wanting to, but maybe anticipating that it would... If I don't get in, then I guess maybe I'm not going to do this or. Well, I was really I was really tying my decision to whether or not I got in. There were other schools that I was considering applying to. Uh Northwestern happened to have a cutoff date that that was coming up very soon because they're on a quarter system. Wow. So I was able to apply there sooner than anywhere else. Okay. And I kind of figured that I just take my time to take to, to, to make this decision. Yeah. But I got admitted and I was like, oh, well, I have a decision to make now. Okay. And so then I just said, heck with it. I'm, I'm going. And there's so many cool things there because I feel like a lot of times I call it the crystal ball theory where people will say, well, I probably won't get in anyway. And the deadline's coming up and you know, I'm kind of busy. And so I don't know, maybe it's really not not to be. So that that's a kind of really looking forward and kind of making these negative assumptions where because often I'll be I'll say to a client of I did not realize you had a crystal ball. So you kind of already see that you're not going to get in. So it's not worth it. I don't you know. I mean, that sounds like I'm being kind of a jerk. But the point, right, is that I like where you're I'm going to apply and then we'll see what happens when I get there. I have a lot of people that if they want a career change, they they you know, well, I don't want to put myself out there, make the resume or go to the interview because, you know, I probably won't even get the job. Or if I get the job, then I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. And it's like, man, how about you? How about you start by filling out the, the, you know, the job application or the resume? So it sounds like you was there. I mean, were you close to not applying for school or were you pretty committed to I'm at least going to give that a shot? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like the decision that I made was basically I'll let them make the decision. And if they decide uh-huh. they're going to take me, then I'm 90% sure I'm just going to do it. Okay. So okay. I, I, I did what I needed to do. Yeah. And just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Okay. I like it. I do. Okay. So, but I like your background as you, you've had some life experience, uh, the financial background, the construction management, um, and in the career change. So I think that, I mean, my personal opinion is that's going to help quite a bit as a therapist. I mean, having that kind of a different perspective, I think that'll be nice. Hopefully. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So where do we start? I, I had written down some notes about, do we kind of tackle the cliches first? You know, do we, and because what I see a lot are, and it's pretty fascinating to listen to, um, what people go through in trying to make decisions. And I, I remember one of the first cliches I heard and I thought this is deep and maybe this is what obvious to people is when people don't make a decision, then that is what that's it's the, that is the decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people are, you know, I'm not good at making decisions, so I'm not going to make the decision. And then I thought that was a little bit of a, an epiphany to me when it was like, Oh, well, there's your decision. And then the consequence of not making a decision is typically then the decisions are going to be made for you. Um, and, and I think that's where I see a lot of people where they'll miss a deadline or, you know, and then it's because then if they kind of stall or pause or hesitate long enough, then they don't really have to make that difficult decision. So you were talking about, are you OK jumping in here where you were talking about um, I want to hear some of your research around uh, what people feel like they have to do before they make a decision and how that can stall someone's decision making ability. Okay, so that's an interesting idea. There's there's several factors that play into this. One that I latched onto probably because of my own personality. I was like, ooh, that makes sense. Yeah, is the idea um, that Stephen Covey wrote about, which is, uh, you know, perfection prevents action. Okay, and when you look at some of the more successful decision makers in the world, people that you know are running multi billion dollar companies. Uh, a lot of these folks are essentially making decisions based on 80% of the information. Okay. And the other piece to that that, that I, I think some people can resonate with, at least I can, is fear of being criticized. Yeah. And that's why you want all the information because you want to make the best decision possible and you don't want to be criticized. Well, 
unfortunately, in today's global world where I can talk to somebody if they know English in Europe yeah. over the internet, it's almost impossible to not get criticized. I thought that was deep. And I think I was sharing with you that even the, I love the, doing the podcast. I, I will do it. I, this is something I've always wanted to do. But I can put one out. I, any podcast I put out, I'm going to get feedback that says that was great or I these good points or thank you or all these things. And also get the ones that will say, hey, you kind of didn't do this right or, you know, I think you should do this differently. And you kind of it's that. Yeah. I, and I, you're no win a bit. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a good way to put it. But at the same time, I mean. So you can almost get into the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I don't know if you want to go there right now. So part of me does because I would tell you, uh, Nate blew my mind that day because we're talking about Kierkegaard. And he's like, do you know about the Dunning-Kruger effect? And, and, you know, part of me wants to jokingly be with to say it with Nate, like, oh, yeah, I know that. I mean, I'm the professional here, but I had no clue what this was. But then I actually did enough research on it because I thought it would be an interesting podcast on its own. But the Dunning-Kruger effect is, man, this is deep dive, like psychology nerd stuff, right? So give us give us a minute of Dunning-Kruger. Okay, so Dunning-Kruger is a pretty interesting idea. Some researchers started to look at uh, people's opinions or, or how highly they value their opinions about themselves. Yes. And they found that people tend to have blind spots, particularly people that are bad at things. Okay. <laughs> and, and like the classic example here is when you sit down at the dinner table, maybe like for a family Thanksgiving dinner, and that uncle decides to tell everyone what he just found out about, uh, I don't know, about dieting. Yeah. And, and, you know, put all of his eggs in this one diet and like, hey, everybody at the table, if you want to get thin, this is what you got. Right. Do. I, I just read five minutes about this or on the Internet. And this is and right. Yeah, essentially. But they're they're stating it as if as if they are essentially an expert. Right. And the Dunning-Kruger effect basically states the less you know about something, the more likely you are to express yourself as someone that's highly knowledgeable. Yeah. And it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, theory because you see it a lot in in people's uh, I, I guess you could call it blind spots. Mm. So, for example, 80 uh, percent of drivers believe that they are above average. Well, above average means you have to be in the top 49 <laughs> percent. And okay. so how are you going to squeeze 80 percent of drivers into 49 percent? Well, some of those people are clearly not above average. So the Dunning-Kruger effect basically says the worse you are at something, the more likely you are to not under, to not realize that you're bad at it. Okay. And I love what you even carried out further than the more you learn about something, what, what, what happens? Well, so that's the opposite end. Yeah. So uh, on the other end, the more of an expert you are, according to the Dunning-Kruger effect, the more you downplay how good you are at it. Okay. Because your perception is that is something that is easy for me. So if it is easy for me, it is probably easy for other people. Ah, okay. And a, and a classic example is math. Okay. So one of the things that was studied with the Dunning-Kruger effect is they gave a math test to a bunch of people. And they found that the people that scored the highest tended to believe they actually scored lower than wow. they did compared to their peers. Okay. Whereas people that scored poorly tended to believe that they scored better. <laughs> I nailed it. Yeah. Compared to their peers. Now, now this is not, it's not all bad news. They actually found when they, when they told people what they, when they showed everyone what the scores were and how they lined up, uh-huh. they were willing to adjust their opinions. Okay. So just because you hear, you know, someone make a, a statement that they just don't know much about and, and you've like your brain's shooting, you know, fireworks off. Okay. Something, something's weird about this. Cause I know they don't know anything about yeah. this. Well, it's because they don't know anything about it or know very little about it um, that they have arrived at that place where they're making a statement. I hate to use the word ignorant, but right. they just don't know better. Sure. Any better. But it's fixable. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about it after we talked about that, that I see it. Uh, one of the examples that came to me was somebody that was in session later that week and they were talking about, you know, it was their favorite sports team and it was the NFL trade deadline had occurred. And so they were, you know, my team is horrible. The GM is the worst. The owner doesn't know what he's talking about. And I kind of was like, hey, isn't this funny? This Dunning-Kruger thing. I mean, you really don't believe. I mean, I'm telling this guy. I mean, you know that the GM really, I mean, he's probably, he's an attorney. He's got a MBA. He's got his whatever. He's done this for a long time. That I'm sure there's a method to his madness. There's a 
reason. There's salary cap things going on. There's whatever. And he's like, oh, no, this guy's an idiot. I mean, I, if I was running this team, I guarantee you that I could make better decisions than that. And I was like, okay, all right. So, you know, there's an example. And then, you know, without us getting political per se, when I looked at Dunning-Kruger effect, boy, what a that's a big place where that occurs, where a politician will learn a little bit about a lot of things, then they will get in front of a crowd, and then it's like, okay, you know, here's my opinion on something and everybody gets excited about it. So they're like, matter of fact, here's more thoughts I have on this. And when people get really excited about it, it's like, matter of fact, I'm an expert at this and follow me and I will change the world with this. And now comes the fact checkers in behind and they say, heck, I really didn't know what he was talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It happens in, in uh, it's been studied over many disciplines and they found it all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So we kind of went, <laughs> how do, here's where, uh, as a therapist, we use the phrase or tracking. How do we track back to, where do we go on that one? Yeah, I don't know. I think before we started, I did tell you that I was likely to go a little. Oh, and I told you that, Nate, this is what I do as well. I, matter of fact, make it a verb. I am tangenting right now. I, it's a tangent. But um, I think that we were kind of talking about um, the the cliches that I that I often hear. I'm still trying to track in the moment. I have yet to edit a podcast. Can I tell you that? Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna stay. We're gonna hang in here. Okay. Right. All right. We're gonna do this. All right. So. Um, Although now I'm in my head, I'm like, okay, should we edit this? I don't think we should edit this. This is like real, Nate, right? We are being vulnerable. Well, if we can't figure out where we stop, then you might not have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Plane's going down either way if that happens. Okay. I wrote down a couple of notes when you were starting to talk about when we were talking about that. And it was one thing that I, with decision making as well, where I feel like a lot of people assume that going into making a decision, I I call it the, you know, they're at point A and they, they automatically need to know what point Z looks like. So that sometimes frightens them to make a, a decision. And I remember when I left my computer field and I was thinking about becoming a therapist, I wasn't 100% sure that this was what I wanted to do. And I went and met with a guy and here's a total man brain move. It was a guy that I knew that made a lot of money. So of course I thought, okay, yeah, why not? I'll, I would like to make a lot of money too. I will sure. go find out what he does and then maybe I will do what he does to make a lot of money, even though I really didn't know anything about what he was doing. And so I went and met with him and he told me of how his path had led from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. And I, I, to this day, man, bless him because he's like, you know what? You're a sharp guy, Tony. I could, I could probably use a little bit of help, but you will be miserable, you know, because he said I was led to here because of all these various things. And this is where I want to be and what I want to do. And then he was the first one that said, you know, um, you're at A. So how about you just get the B first, you know, and that for me, that was like, a okay, go ahead and apply to go to grad school. And then when you get to B, because I remember at first I thought I'm, I want the next two years are going to go by. I'm going to get my master's in counseling or not. So why don't I get there? And then once I got in there and actually got to the point where you are, the practicum, and I started seeing clients where I just thought, oh, man, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, and so then it was like from there, it just led to C and D and E and who knows where we're at now, G or H. But uh, I'm so grateful that I didn't just have this, man, if I don't know what Z looks like, I'm not even going to do it. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to, again, <clears throat> to the whole idea that that and actually maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Okay. Do we talk about the amount of decisions that people make no, on do a daily it. basis? No, talk about it. I've got this right there. Yeah. Um, so there's an interesting theory out there about young people. Okay. And about how they kind of seize up sometimes after high school because uh, there's too many options. Yeah. Like and, and I don't think anybody necessarily feels that we want to clamp down on freedoms. You know, we we don't want to take options off the table because we want people to become whatever they want to become. Mm-hmm. Like that that is I I think here in the United States that's what we really want for people. But we also have to understand that they are choosing between thousands of options. Do you okay. want to go to college? Do you not want to go to college? What do you want to study in college? If you don't go to college, what do you want to do? And th- th- we have no idea. Yeah. So, you know, that in and of itself can be terrifying. And at some point in the back of their head is always, by the way, I want to be a YouTube star. You know, I mean, it's something. Well, of even, course, who doesn't? Right. Exactly. Um, but so then and then so that that freeze, then what do they do? I mean, is that are you kind of saying that is that where then, you know, they often then put off any decisions for a while? Well, so there's this there's I don't want to call it a social theory, but I mean, we hear about these 20 somethings living in their parents basement playing video games all day. Yeah. And, and I think it is mainly assigned to, to males. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's female there are females that are doing it. Um, but I mean, I'm not shocked by that. Yeah. If you're not really sure what to do. 
then you default to whatever you enjoy doing. Okay. If it happens to be playing video games in the basement, yeah. I mean, before you know it, it's been five years since you graduated high school. You were still working your part-time job at Starbucks. Yeah. And you're no closer to, to knowing what you want to do in life. Um, super quick tangent on that front too. Man, kind of mind-blowing because now if we get into, I do a lot with habit and addiction and that sort of thing. So if that uh, habit, that, that habitual cycle, the neurological um, pattern of behavior is when I don't know what to do, I will play video game. Eventually the brain gets kind of locked in that, that goes right into that basal ganglia habit center. So when I feel this, I'm not sure what to do. Brain says, this is part where we go play video games. Yes. And uh, yeah. And, and that's a, that's a big issue for people that eventually uh, develop addiction. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there's uh, I printed up a couple things to, that I wanted to, to share a little bit too. One is this, uh, there's an author named Mike Whitaker and he wrote a book called the decision makeover an intentional approach to living the life you want. And you know, when we talk about, when you're talking about this, a lot of these decisions we make um, in his book, he says, you'll make 150 small decisions a day. And I think that's just mind blowing. Um, right. And, and I think that even, I mean, we are making decisions on the fly here, making decisions. Do we record or do we edit? Do we not edit? What do we wear today? What time did we meet? How long are we going to go? I mean, what, what's next? We make decisions on what we're going to wear. Uh, how long we brush our teeth. I mean, there's so many this morning. I I'm a big fan. I, have, I don't know. I, here's the part of me that I love. I love my my soaps. I love my uh, my shaving creams, my lotions, that sort of thing. <laughs> I had three different soaps in the you know in the shower. It's like which one am I going to use today? And I opted for a new one that I just got. So I mean, just decisions, right? I mean, there's so many decisions we make. Um, and Mike Whitaker says that decisions are forks in the road. And this is where I liked what you were saying earlier. Life doesn't happen to us. We're an active participant. We get out of life what we choose. So that's kind of back to Absolutely. that existentialism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, but he also has this theory where decision-making takes discipline. Um, do you agree? Yeah, I do. And and I think we can tie it back to to the whole idea of information, uh-huh. which is, do we have enough information? And in some cases, maybe we have too much information and we feel like this this vast amount of information that's coming into us, again, puts us in, a, in, a, in this environment where we start to kind of seize up. It's too much. Yeah. And we were talking, you and I were talking earlier too. So he says that there are um, some tools that can help people navigate the right option every time, which... You know, that's a very confident goal. Um, but he says the first thing is know that not all decisions are created equally. And I think that's where he kind of breaks it down into small, medium and big decisions. So the small decisions, these one we're talking about that, that just, you know, what you wear or what you eat and they might only impact you for a few moments. And and so I think it's important to kind of have awareness around that. When a lot of people say, I, I'm horrible at making decisions, but there's a little bit of awareness around, no, we're, you're doing okay. You made a lot of decisions today. If you, if you did get up, if you got dressed, if you uh, ate something or what you, I mean, so we're making decisions. It's not that we can't make any decisions at all. Um, he said, medium decisions impact your life for a year or so. Like decide what you're doing, deciding going back to school, taking on a roommate and they affect your life, but they aren't these crash and burn moments. I like that concept too. But, but here's what I thought was, was interesting. He said, successful people don't spend a lot of mind share on small decisions. They almost have fun with them. Uh, and I want you to cut me off if any of this stuff, you know, if anything comes to mind there. So, I mean, have you ever felt like, wow, these small decisions are so much fun? Uh, not really, because I tend to be – and the reason I, I mentioned the Stephen Covey quote earlier. Yeah. I tend to be the perfectionist. There we go. Okay. So, for me, I want – Every bit of information. Okay. And, and again, I really tie that into being criticized. Okay. Which is, you know, a big fear for me. And and you could talk about the psychodynamics about that, which, you know, is where's that come from? And yeah, yeah. yeah. Like what what where did where exactly did that did that originate? And and I think for me, you know, part of that came from you know, a father that was, you know, he had very high expectations. Yeah. And so I kind of adopted that. Yeah. And here I am 39 years old. And I'm still trying to kind of be like, it's okay to make a mistake. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Which I like. So, so now with that concept, so the have fun with these small decisions, I do feel like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where all of a sudden one of your friends or, you know, just somebody that you maybe work with that all of a sudden they're wearing some wacky socks, they're dressing a little differently, they they do their hair a little different. I know you're lying, can you think of things yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, so for me, I have been criticized for sometimes being a little bit too 
um, loungy okay. in, in my attire. <laughs> you always look very nice. You oh, very look kind. very dapper with your, your collared shirts. What's funny, though, is even mine is like a uniform. I did wear blue pants today, which I have only five or six pair of these, not to, <laughs> not, not my dozen pair of like tan or khaki pants, uh, and the white collared shirt instead of the t- traditional either black or, or blue one. Gotcha. So that's funny. I, I appreciate you saying I looked at it. But every morning to me, I'm like, is somebody going to think that I've worn this thing every day for the last two weeks? You know? Yeah, but think about that for a minute. Okay. We're worried about what other people oh. are thinking about, about what we're wearing. Yep. So we're talking about what you considered a small decision. I was not having fun with it, Nate. So that's, I mean, that's an interesting thought that we are so concerned about what other people think about us. Even in the small decisions. The, yes. Yes. So imagine how that stacks up because if the small decisions are getting – if we're getting backed up on the yeah. small decisions and then we have a medium decision to make and then a large decision to make, I mean, come yeah. on. You can see why human beings are like, uh, I'm not really sure if I even want to decide to do this yeah. if they're afraid of criticism. Absolutely. So then back to the – okay, now I'm, I'm now here we are. Make uh, – have fun with those small decisions. I have started – um, there, you know, everything is a subscription service these days. I don't know if you're kind of a, if you're kind of tracking with well, me there. I've got Netflix. Okay, Netflix exactly. And I have I've kind of really been drawn to there's a, there's one called a Spreza box. There's one called a Gentleman's box. And these are these, you know, for I don't know twenty bucks a month or whatever you get this box delivered. And I have a 14 year old son who likes to dress nice and that sort of thing. But they come with a, a tie and socks and then all these other kind of accoutrements that are oh, yeah. I never would have bought before. Right. And so every month we're getting some pretty cool socks really cool tie and uh and so i've started wearing more wacky socks even to work and and it's and i like it it kind of feels nice now every now and again i can tell that somebody's you know who is maybe has more of a rigid mindset and they're thinking that's not very professional you know but i can't let that get to me is what we're kind of saying right i i think i mean there's two pieces of that one you'd like to see someone not (laughs) yeah not necessarily exercise that judgment yeah but you know again you can't control what other people are thinking you know obviously as a therapist that's a big thing you got to really help people navigate it's like hey you can't control other people. You only control your reactions. So let's work on that. Yeah. Um, so no, I totally agree with and you. I, and I, and then, by the way, I like to wear the wacky socks. Um, that's kind of fun. Boy, I remember I go into a training and there was a therapist that I was a big fan of. Actually, I've had him on the show, so I should give him a plug, uh, Sean Davis. And I remember he was wearing uh, just like a casual shirt, even at this training. And we were, and there were a lot of us there that were dressed pretty nice. And I was so fixated on, wow, Sean, like, does Sean like wear, is he super casual when he's seeing clients or, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and then I remember feeling like, wow, he, boy, he just, he's doing him, you know? And so when I got into private practice, I, I was like, I can totally be casual. Cause at first I thought, well, I should at least wear a tie or something. But, but then, um, I, you know, that's not what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting with a client one time and they were talking about this mediator and asking me if I had met with this, ever interacted with this mediator. Mediator is a great guy. Um, uh, I've done a couple of things with him now but i've never really met the guy and so this this client's telling me of the experience that he had had and he said you know and he mentions the guy's name he's like he's in there with his shorts and his flip-flops and i was like what <laughs> like i've heard so much cool stuff about this guy and that guy gets away with flip-flops and shorts as a therapist and i was like i can't i can't do that you know um but so wow the small decisions so what we're taking away from this one is have fun with the small decisions um so bigger decisions and this is what we were talking about before as well um mike whitaker from his book says that in order to uh, successful people have four strategies that help them clearly define what they want they keep five prime goals and they stay focused with them they identify the top priority and they give it favorable treatment when making decisions Uh, they look for goal and decision overlap treating that with more care and then they appreciate momentum identifying the beliefs to of continuing to move in the right direction so goal setting i mean i think that and i'll work with clients and say man it's really important uh, you know to almost have this person personal mission statement i think it's another covey term um because then that can drive your decision making but what was your comment on goals i think a lot of people are going to be in the same place uh i have goals but i don't write them down and what, what is it a goal not written as a wish or something, something like that something to that effect yeah 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 so so and, and i like this concept so I love doing this type of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about it a little bit, but it's saying that we have the feelings that we have um, because of the, the things that have brought us to this point in life. So not all of our thoughts or emotions we deem as automatic negative thoughts or, you know, irrational thoughts, but it's, we come to this position in our life with a lot of our own kind of baggage. And so that's why it's pretty normal to have the thoughts we have, but then it's like, what do we do with those thoughts and which, why do we give certain thoughts more, 
uh, credibility than others. But at the core of acceptance and commitment therapy is saying, all right, we got to identify what are our core values or goals or beliefs. And then if a thought doesn't line up with those, it's not a very productive thought. So we're going to learn to kind of move that one on through, not react. And I feel like that's what um, Mike Whitaker is saying here is if we have these tangible written down goals and now we have a decision, can we put that decision through this um, formula? So I don't know. Can you think of an example? I mean, I kind of think about with you going back to school, um, what was that goal? I mean, the, the goal in life. Well, so for me, the ultimate goal was, I mean, it wasn't, I don't even know if it's tangible per se, because mm. it's, it's an emotion. It's a feeling, which yeah. is I want to, I want to feel that I am of some service to my community. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I have to pay rent and I have to put food on the table. So, you know, you do have to get paid. So as much as I'd like to go out and, you know, be, I don't know, Gandhi. Yeah. Like I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would be able to, to support my children. They, they probably wouldn't be very happy. Yeah. And maybe they'd be super happy, but they wouldn't, they, you know, they don't want them to be destitute. Yeah. So ultimately, this is the compromise that I came up with. You know, okay. this, is a, this is hopefully something where I can be helpful to people that I can, you know, make some money to provide for myself and get ultimately that feeling of, I don't, I don't know if, if I, the term happiness is so loaded mm. and it can mean different things for different people. But, you know, just a, a sense of peace, of, so I, I, I look at joy as being very religious, um, and maybe I've just heard joy in in religion in a religious term so okay. much. But but just happy, just so I just gave this big explanation about why not trying to use other words other than happy, and then I used happy. No, that's okay. <laughs> and and so I think when I was going, so like if you're yeah, if that goal is happiness, purpose, joy, that sort of thing, then putting that decision through that filter is one. If my ultimate goal in life is to, you know, live by the ocean and I have a, uh, you know, my, my, I don't know, the decision coming up to me is to move to Nebraska, then maybe that comes into play. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You have to look at what your priority is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your priority, like you say, is the ocean, then you do whatever you need to do to live by the ocean. If your priority is, Hey, I want to make as much money as possible. That's what's going to my head too, right? Cause a lot of people that's, that is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, we, we need to so this is this is Nate, my opinion. I'm 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 not quoting anyone else here. Okay, I believe we need to be a little kinder towards ourselves and other people. Yeah, the judgment stuff I think is damaging to ourselves yeah. and to other people. Okay, you know it's okay to just state a fact. I mean, if I did something, you know, it's okay to say, oh well, you know, Nate just ran his bike into a person. Well, it may have been totally been an accident. Yeah. But when we start making judgments about that, like this idiot just, you know, <laughs> intentionally, intentionally ran into someone. Yeah. That's, I think where we, where we have to be a little bit careful. Right. Okay. Um, so I'm already thinking we're, we're going to, we've got a few more things we want to cover today. It's probably gonna be a two parter, Nate. Okay, that's okay. I, I, I can come that, back right? another time. Exactly right. All right, time. but I'm not saying we're wrapping up. I want to. So I want to kind of talk about. So um, going back to. So we've identified. You know, to make these big. We're having fun with the little decisions now. We're going to try to not get ourselves caught up in um, what other people think. Which yes. I mean, I know that's cliched, but it's it is. It's man. a li that's a lifelong journey. It right is. There. It really is. I mean, it truly is. Um, and we know that not all decisions are created equally and that maybe these uh, kind of the medium or the, the larger decisions that impact our life, we maybe want to try to have some more perspective with, does this line up with goals? And we're saying that it would be nice to actually be able to write down our goals and, and kind of put our decisions against these goals. Um, but and, yeah. And can I just throw something in there? Yeah. There's another piece of this that I think sometimes we, you know, because we fear making the wrong decision and, and maybe the criticism we fear is not from someone else, but, uh -huh. but just being wrong. Yeah. Sometimes I think we also need to accept the fact that that's just part of life. That's how we grow. It's like a discussion. Like I may have an opinion that, that uh, maybe opinion is not the, the right word because opinions are, are very subjective, but I'm, I have no doubt in my mind, I've changed many opinions in the past and I will change many in the future. Yeah. So I hold opinions right now that I'm not going to believe at some point in the future. And so I think we need to accept, you know, who we are internally as flawed and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. part of life. Like I said, the journey. Yeah. Which I like goes back to, 
um, this concept of uh, we we are there is going to be criticism in, in whatever. We yes, do. it's okay, absolutely right, absolutely. Because I do feel like people do get better at making decisions once they feel like guess what? There's going to be more decisions to make after I make this decision, or I could make a bad decision, but then guess what? I get to do from there. I get to make another decision. Yeah. And I, and I remember in some of the business trainings that I did that that was one of the. And you know, I'm sure that Mike Whitaker saying a lot uh, more intelligently than this was, but um, I had somebody just say. Just make the decision and have the confidence that if it goes well, then great. And if it doesn't, then make another decision. Yeah. And, and actually, I think that's part of what I want to get to, too, before we wrap things up today. Okay. So um, Whitaker said that uh, when a – so with bad decisions, um, successful people – and I know that's even now this judgment statement, right? right, right but right. successful people course correct more quickly. And th- I love this concept. He said most people don't act because it's painful. He said when successful people have enough evidence that they made a bad decision, they don't look for more evidence. Kind of goes back to that – I don't know if they have 80% of the data, they don't have to have a hundred percent before they course correct. So um, he said they're willing to shut down a business, for example, and go in a different direction or they fail. And I like this term. He said they fail fast, they move on and then they don't talk about it again. So yeah. you know what it comes to mind is many said that. And, and for anybody that's been in therapy that's worked like with a therapist that uses CBT is probably going to be aware of this. Yeah. All Cognitive or nothing behavioral thinking. therapy. Yeah. Yes. All okay. or nothing thinking, which is, I just spent 10 years building this business. If I shut this down, my life is over. Yeah. Like that's a perfect example of, of all or nothing thinking. Yeah. It, it sounds to me like what he's saying is people that, that are, are good decision makers, people that are successful at life are good at making decisions because they're, they're probably not all or nothing thinkers. They're right. probably thinking, well, I built this thing in 10 years. I can do it again. Yeah. And, 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 and I love this phrase. What came to my mind is I love to say this concept of, okay, now we have some data and there's no judgment with that. Mm-hmm. And because <clears throat> I've actually had a couple of businesses that haven't done so well. And, uh, and it's like, okay, what did I learn? I learned right. I didn't necessarily do this as well. I didn't learn this. And it does, it's not productive at all for me to go back and think, man, what a, I'm a loser. Like, what was I thinking? Right. You know, yeah. does it, doesn't help at all. So he says, they'll fix fast. They'll significantly change a deal. He said, it's not a matter. I love this one. It's not a matter of trying harder. Um, he said, that's a good intention trap. Um, but it's always more of the same. You're already trying hard. I mean, yes. you know, you're, you're trying hard. And if things don't work, that doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. And so, yeah, so he, you, you fix fast. Um, and then so here's where it goes back to that. He says the keys to revert back to your goals. Um, Whitaker calls it the big reset. So he said everybody's walking away with mistakes they've made. Almost everybody has a poor decision on a big category. And he's like, you don't want to get to your mid-career and think, you know, this isn't where I thought I would be because he says that nothing's more deflating. But really, we got to just look about that, at that. Like, well, it kind of is. I mean, is yeah. where we're here now. What do we do with it? Which that's where I, I quoted before the book, The Road Less Traveled. Life is difficult. Once we kind of accept that. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't hold as much weight. Now it's a matter of, okay, um, this difficult thing happened. Um, and now what do I do with it? Well, and I, and I think that's also, you know, the, the flexibility piece, you got to be flexible with yourself. Like, uh-huh. for example, when you're, you know, 20 years old, we were talking a little bit earlier about, about, you know, young men playing video games all yeah. day, you know, because they don't know what they want to do. Well, guess what? Your first choice on what you think you might want to do may be wrong. Yeah. You may not enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a perfect example. I, I did one thing. It, I learned a lot, but it wasn't what I considered to be my purpose in life. So I switched to something else and I kind of came to the same conclusion. This is brilliant, right? So, so now here I am on try number three. So hopefully which is great, right? And I'm right there. I mean, I did 10 years of software. I mean, it was money was okay. Got to travel a little bit, but it was like, ultimately I didn't feel fulfilled. And I remember feeling like, well, this is where I'm at. I'm, this is what I do, you know? And man, so I love that. Yeah. Um, always kind of, you can, he says, yeah, the big reset. All right. I, I wanted to make sure we covered this too. The worst reaction is what Whitaker calls goal grooming. Um, and he says, that's adjusting your goals downward to fit your current circumstances. And, and this one is, I see this in therapy a lot where, um, he says, we, we do it to avoid feeling bad about missing a mark. He was like, well, I didn't want that job anyway. You know, right. it wasn't about like, uh, all right, what do I learn from that? Or what can I do better? Or, you know, or, okay, now I'll look at a different job in that same field. Or it's like, yeah, that wasn't, I really didn't want that. Um, so that goal grooming, adjusting your goals downward. Um, so he said, goal grooming is a bad thing to do for the future. Successful people keep goals solid and, and, and they, he called them reverent and they continue to make decisions purposely around them. So one, you know, you run into one roadblock and making, it doesn't mean that now you just throw everything out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it goes to the uh, what, what's the the saying is here. Here goes now with the cliche. Nice. The the only way out is through. 
Okay. You know, sometimes yeah. you just got to just power through and it's, it can be painful. Yeah. It can hurt. And you know, you might feel some rejection and you might feel like ultimately maybe you didn't, if you had known that you'd run into this, maybe you wouldn't have made that decision. Right. But at the same time, you're not at the end yet. Yeah. So wait till you get to the end before you decide that was a bad decision. Right, right. And then even if you do decide that, then don't uh, throw the nice guilt and shame in there and you're a horrible person for trying. Right? Yeah. And, and you have the, you know, you have the learn, the, the things that you have learned over that decision is what makes it a successful decision, even though it was a bad decision. Oh, that's deep. You know, I would say, I, I don't want you to do this, but you could pick up my mic and drop it. At that point. So <laughs> it looks expensive. It does, I don't, yeah, I don't want that. you to drop it. That was a very, that was a mic drop moment. Um, all right. So we talked about this one a little bit before too. So it's also important to recognize your, when your ability to make good decisions is vulnerable. There's acronyms that I use in the addiction world. Uh, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are things that if those are, are happening, Probably not the best time to make a big major decision. Yes. Whitaker says when you're hurry, uh, when you're in a hurry, prideful, angry, lonely, rejected. I like he added in here, inebriated or tired. Um, he said successful people know that when they are not in a good place, they don't want to make a a decision. Um, he said that it's okay to say, "Let me sleep on that," or "Let me think about that," or "I'll get back to you." They're okay with not giving answers. They defer until they know their mind's right. And I think about like hard sales tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, you know, what I love about being a therapist is I've got to work with so many cool, any profession, you name it, you kind of get to dig in a little deep. And I've got somebody right now who is works in the car industry. And just to hear him say that he's unique because he, he's like, I'm the guy out there that is not trying to high pressure sales you. But he said, I watch people around that it's, you know, they, they had, they are going in for the kill. They've got the person up against the wall and it's like, you got to make this decision now. And I mean, that's this Whitaker saying that is about the worst thing you can do. You know, if you don't feel like you are in a position to make the decision, then let me sleep on that. Let me get some more data. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, to me, that makes total sense. You, yeah. you want to make sure you have your wits about you when you're going to make a big decision. Yeah. Like, but I run into people all the time in therapy, too, that it'll, it'll you know, they're like, this person just asked me to do this. I mean, ah, what do I do? It's like, sleep on it. Yeah. Pause. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I think the other piece of that is knowing yourself. Yeah. The more you know yourself, the more you know your strengths, weaknesses, and, you know, how this decision could potentially affect you, especially if you've made similar decisions in the past, which is to go back to, hey, you made a bad decision before, but you can learn from it. So maybe you can use that knowledge to make a better decision in the future. Exactly. So um, because then uh, Whitaker's talking about making a decision when you're not in the right frame of mind leads there are consequences. I mean, there's consequences, good and bad to any decision. And then he said, consequences pile up and turn into regret. And the regret has a big impact. And you carry it around like luggage all due to your bad decision making, which that's the part I think I think that I run into um, as a therapist. So he said, when successful people review regrets, like you're saying, they learn from them, uh, then they're done with them and they put them away. They don't have to carry that baggage around. Yeah. And I think that that goes to what we would consider being, you know, (laughs) not being so harsh towards ourselves. Sometimes you make a bad decision and that just happens. I think in that in that particular vein, I, I, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, that he's talking about how, you know, successful people, as they consistently make bad decisions, probably are not letting it go, which eventually is going to lead them to your couch. Yeah. So I guess in that scenario, I need a fair amount of people to continue to carry that baggage around. <laughs> to keep you in business. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so right. make some bad decisions, people. <laughs> That's right. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, Nate, Nate and I will help you uh, <laughs> process those. Um, but I like this. He says, successful people are not willing to let others take control. Um, people often give up control to things like fate and luck. And, you know, he's saying there is no such thing. If we own our decisions, we we get what we choose. And, you know, he kind of ends with this kind of a nice sentiment of good things come to those who decide. So I wanted to get I wanted to get into decision fatigue and things like that. But I think maybe we'll make that a part two. Sure. Kind of come back for that. Sure. Um, but kind of some, I don't know, final thoughts. I, 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 I love this. I enjoyed this. Yeah. No, it's it's super interesting. I mean, so Kierkegaard is basically saying that, you know, don't let that what if I regret this or what if I regret this? If I'm going to make a decision, stop you because surprise. Yeah. There's going to be regret. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But you don't want to not get the ice cream. Right. Yeah. Well, um, unless you're on a diet like me in that okay, case, I, I, <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to have to choose to abstain. 
Exactly. And then uh, try to have some fun with the small decisions. I think that's an important thing, too. Um, and I like what you said earlier about don't worry, we can be our own worst critics. We beat ourselves up. And that's not a very productive thing to do. Yeah, it's not helpful, especially when it comes to making other decisions. If, if we're questioning, every, I mean, you want to question decisions. That's that's a human thing to yeah. do. And it actually prevents things like the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you're that's if right. you're looking at the decision and questioning the, whether the decision was right, that's OK. Yeah. But if you're crying about how much you hate yourself for making this decision, oh, yeah. th- that's not okay. Right. Okay. Which is also a perfect segue to say if uh, if you're in the Roseville, Sacramento, Folsom area, um, go see my friend Nate. He is a he is he is seeing clients, right? Open for business. That's yep. exciting. And people can find you at he said it earlier. It's a big uh, The Place Within Folsom. Dot com. com. Okay. Yep. Um, the place within counseling. The place within counseling. That's okay. And I'll have, I'll have a link to it on okay, the show notes perfect. and on my Facebook page and all that kind of stuff. Great. So what a pleasure you, you, you delivered. I, I was hoping you'd sound extremely smart. You did. I think this is kind of <laughs> natural for you. Um, I'm excited for what is ahead for you and, and that you are passionate about this career. It's obvious that, you know, you could tell in this that you, you, you kind of love this stuff. So um, we'll have you back. I want to talk to you at some point. We'll, we'll get into some decision fatigue. And then I want to have you as part of um, I'm trying to put together a little bit of a series on career change. Okay, and and I think awesome. that'll be fun, too. So, uh, Nate Christensen, thanks for being on the virtual couch. Thank you, Tony. All right. And, uh, and now I will turn it away to the wonderful, talented Aurora Florence, who is going to lead us, uh, lead us out with It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Heal the legs and hearts you broke the 